Y'all ready to go to work? Let's do it. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you said you'd watch over your word to perform it. Lord, you said your word would never return to you void. And so I pray, Father, that it would do just that today. Lord, that it would return to you and that it would have hit the mark and done all that it needs to do in our life. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So welcome again. In this sermon series, we are dealing with the idea uh, that most often uh, God is not the source of our pain. Rather, he is the redeemer of it. And so here's the question today. How do we respond to pain? What's our response? Pain can drive us away from God or it can drive us toward God. Uh, Where we allow pain to take us in proximity to God is based largely on how we view God, our worldview of him, and our assumptions about him. Do we allow ourselves the sole liberty to decide, to define, to describe who God is? Do we allow our worldview? Do we allow our Western culture? Do we allow the news media? Do we allow left-leaning politics? Do we allow right-leaning politics to define who God said he is? Or does Scripture get to define who God said he is? And that's the, that's the question today. How do we respond to pain? And what are our assumptions of God? What do we believe about him? Where do we allow that pain to take us? Closer to him or further away from him? And there's many things that play into that. But pain's coming. Uh, most of us in this room have experienced some type of pain. And if you're too young to have not experienced any, you will. And on a long enough timeline, we will all be faced with pain. But pain's not the problem. Our image of God is most often the problem. And what we allow to inform our image of God is the problem. And I'm not speaking to you as one that has no experience with pain. Nor am I speaking as one that has always run to God with my pain. I spent a great deal of my youth running as fast as I could away from God. But our view about God determines whether we allow pain to take us to the arms of God or if we allow that pain to drive us away from God at warp speed. As Rick said last week, we often find ourselves disillusioned with God because he's not met our expectations We assume certain ways that God is supposed to work, and then when that doesn't happen, it creates confusion and doubt. Thus, when we're faced with tragedy or extreme pain or horror, we recoil away from God. And a lot of times it's not just that we run to God or from God, but a lot of times it's it's our expectations of how God's supposed to handle our pain. Many times we believe, well, God, you need to handle my pain this way. Or, God, I expect you to handle my pain this way. But Scripture is full of examples of we're not always taken out of painful situations. And so one of the examples I like to use is when my sons were little, when they were nine months old, a year old, year and a half, two years old, when they would fall and they would scrape their knee You know, I would scoop them up, and I would hold them close, 
Wow, this is killing me. And I would, I would hold them close and I would comfort them because they didn't even understand what, they just knew they fell and all of a sudden they're hurting. And I would scoop them up and I'd love on them. I'm like, Daddy's got you. It's okay. You're okay. You're safe. You're good. Now, that's a proper response when they're young. And it's always, compassion's never a wrong response. But my son, who's 14, will be running track this year. And if he falls in the middle of running track, and if I run out there and I'm like, I pick him up, and I'm like, oh, my baby, my poor, are you okay, son? Shh, 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 shh. And I'm doing all that. I can promise you my son's going to be like, Dad, please. Oh, no, I don't want. Why? Because in his maturity and his age and to where he's grown, that's no longer the proper response. And so many of us, as we grow in Christ and pain comes, we're like, oh, daddy, please. And he's like, you'll be okay. There comes a time, I remember, in every man's life, if you're raising sons or daughters or whatever, there comes a time when you see your kid, boom, and he, he scraped his knees and he's like, and he looks up at you and you're like, you're okay, get up. There comes a time when that is an appropriate response. Not necessarily when they're two, but when they're 18, you're okay. Come on, get up. I'm not going to go. And so in our, in our maturity, as we begin to mature in the Lord, we have to allow the Lord to deal with our pain in different ways. Because in this world, you will have trouble. But he says, do not fear, for I've overcome the world. And so before we go any further, I want you to watch this video. This is uh, Greg Wilhite. He goes to our, uh, not Greg Wilhite, Mr. Wilhite goes to our, Robert Wilhite goes to our first service. And so I want you to watch this video and then we'll talk some more. I'm Robert Wilhite. Lori and I, Christian and Jordan are members of this church. I love this church. Roman asked me to talk about Pain. I was raised in church, but I had a little brother get run over that was close to me. And I didn't know God well enough. I was young. I didn't trust. So I thought the way you get through that was just get tougher. And it worked. It got me grew up. And then... I thought I was the head cowboy of the world and had a good job with the cattle company. Everything was good. I was going through a bitter divorce and I had a 16-year-old daughter get killed in a car wreck. So I got mad and uh, Turned away. About six months later, I lose my dad, another family member, and I had a lot of trouble figuring it out. And then the cattle company I worked for sold out and retired, so I was just a wheat pasture cowboy. And finally, I figured out I couldn't do all that without some help. 
Goddamn. And I talked. He put, uh, he put peace in my heart. Lori came along. Things got a lot, lot better. And uh, we started trying to put our business together. So then I finally figured out that we went to church and I had a preacher that helped me explain to me that God didn't cause any of them pains, but he was going to be the only way out. I finally believed it. I finally did it. Works like a top. I, uh, I worked hard and I figured out that uh, God's not going to give me back what I lost. He didn't cause it and He's not giving me what I lost. But uh, He gave me so much more it's crazy. I just wanted back even. My dad wouldn't have that. I had turmoil, so he gave me a loving wife. I didn't have a <clears throat> steady job, so he gave me a business. I didn't have a solid home, so he gave me a beautiful home. I didn't have peace. He gave me extreme happiness. I was missing a... I was missing a daughter. And he gave me comfort to know where my daughter's at. <clears throat> And on top of that, he piled three more kids in my life, and every one is a blessing. They're, uh, they're my pride and joy, all three of them. Uh, I didn't have a dad to ask advice. He gave me a dad. that I talk to every day about everything. He's the, he's the only solitude in my life. He's the only steady. He's first, second, third. He's perfect in my life. He's made my family solid. He's made my business solid. When I worry about business, family, kids, everything, I sit down and talk to him, it's good. I know for a fact 
because I tried everything else. That's the only thing that works. In the first service, Mr. Wilhite was sitting right over there, and I said, Mr. Wilhite, after all these trials and all this pain, do you still believe God is good? And he said, all the time. All the time. See, the Bible doesn't teach us that we're immune to problems, does it? Does it? I look around, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we know. Does the Bible say that? Does it not? Are we immune from problems? But God's with us in every storm, even when we don't feel him, because that's what he promised. See, saints, that video we just watched, that's a mature faith. That's a faith that's unlike the squishy prosperity gospel that slithered into our churches like a snake, just like that crafty serpent of old when he called God's word into question back in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan tempted Eve and he said, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? And just like that, by questioning God's image and questioning his instructions, the serpent caused the root of doubt to spring up within the heart of all humanity, to doubt God's goodness. He had just created everything and at the end of everything he creates, he says, God, is, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then some voice from outside of what God says comes in and plants that seed of doubt and says, did God really say, is God really good? And Eve reasoned within herself. Humanity continues to reason within ourselves instead of trusting God's testimony about who he said he is. And that strategy is the same thing that keeps us running away from God and hiding out in our pain and our shame instead of running to him in repentance and confession. Repentance, not you're running from him in some rebellious state, but you've turned from him because I don't know if I can go to you, God. It's not always, repentance is not always turning back to God because we're in some deep rebellion. Repentance sometimes is turning back to God saying, you know, I may have believed some wrong things about you. So instead of running from you, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to run to you now because you're the only thing that can help me. And then our scriptures that we read earlier, we see two completely different responses to pain. In Matthew 26, 75, we see that Peter remembered what Jesus had said, and before the cock crows, you will deny me three times, and he went out and he wept bitterly. And those are tears of compunction. Those are tears of repentance. Those are tears that later led to restoration because God confronted an arrogant spirit in Peter. He said, Peter was like, I'll go with you to the ends of the earth, Jesus. I got your back. I'm your boy. And he said, before the night's over, you'll deny me three times. Whoa, 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 whoa. And then when the cock crows the third time, Peter is reminded of those words that Jesus spoke to him. And he's broke. And he weeps over it. Matthew 27, 4, Judas said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What's that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. And that was an act of shame and deep regret. Regret that led to self-harm instead of repentance, instead of self-forgiveness. Both men, you ever think about it? Both men spent three years in the presence 
of Jesus. And both men had two entirely different outcomes in how they handled betraying a friend. Both betrayed him. Both abandoned him. But Peter was convicted in his heart over it and ran to God with his pain and wept for what he had done. Judas, who had having spent three years with the same man, didn't believe that man could forgive him and went and hung himself. See, Satan came and questioned God's image and character regarding how Jesus would handle that betrayal. Satan still runs around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But it's just that. It's a roar. It has no substance. It might sound something like this. And the voice of the enemy, you know, if you, if you read your Bible and you turn, then you're reading through Scripture. And you hear that voice in the back of your head as you're reading it. In John 16, Jesus said, here on earth you'll have many trials. Are you sure you want to follow a God that makes that promise? You sure about that? Saints, that's not a promise from God. That's a fact of living in a fallen world. Here on earth you'll have trials and sorrow. Jesus is telling the truth. We live in a fallen world, and that's going to be the outcome of it. But Jesus gave the fact when he said, you'll have trials and sorrows, but he followed it with the promise. I've overcome the world. There's your promise. Folks, I believe the church needs a far more robust theology of pain in order to counter the spirit of the AIDS that would have us believe that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about ourselves and that God's not really involved in my life except when I need a problem resolved. That's moral therapeutic deism. That's not Christianity. In James 1, 2, when we read that scripture, the enemy can come to us and he might say, does James, the brother of Jesus, really expect us to believe, considered an opportunity for great joy when troubles of any kind come our way? Did he really say when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow? Really? Do you believe when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing? Do you know anyone who's perfect? Do you know one human being that's complete and needs nothing? See how he slips in underneath and starts planting seeds of doubt in our heart when we're reading the scripture? Well, scripture also says to agree, agree quickly with your adversary. Some of those times I say, no, devil, I, I don't know a perfect human being. But I do know my Savior. I do know Jesus the Messiah who being fully God and fully man was perfect and complete in God the Father and was in need of nothing. I know that he is my rabbi. I know that he is my teacher. I know that he is my example. I know that in his completeness, he still suffered and experienced heartache. In his completeness, in his sinless state, as fully God and as fully man, this God-man still suffered, still had heartache, was still betrayed, still died, and went so far as to say before his death, in Matthew 10, 24, and 25, students are no greater than their teacher, and slaves are no greater than their master. 
Students are to be like their teacher and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called prince of demons and member of my household, will be called even worse names. I think I've been called worse names. You see, the man I serve and the teacher I follow and the master that I pattern my life after suffered and he was in pain and he experienced loss just like every other common man that has ever lived. But my hope does not lie in what Jesus suffered. It does not lie in his betrayal. It does not lie in his torture or even his death. My hope lives and my hope flourishes in the uniqueness of what only Christ can offer, that I am not left in a hopeless state. That no matter how bad it gets, even in death, through Christ there's resurrection and there is life. And no other false God can make that claim. At the end, even in death, there is resurrection. We are not left in the state of pain. That's the narrative. That's the story of God. That's the story of the God that put on flesh and the God that suffered pain right along with us. Never think that you're alone because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He never promised to deliver us from every pain, but he did promise to be with us through it all, whether we feel him or don't feel him. Because of his death and resurrection, he is the spirit of God now living and breathing in us. I get passionate about this not because I love suffering and pain. I hate it. But I'm passionate about this because I hate the lies of the evil one. I hate how he comes against the lives of the saints with lie upon lie about the goodness of God. God is not good only when he spares us from pain and trial. God is good because he has promised to be with us and to never leave us. Feelings or no feelings, he keeps his word. I asked my son Judah this morning, I said, let's say I'm talking to you and a friend and I, your friend's right beside you and I say, Judah, tonight I'm going to take you to the football game. And I said, then y'all turn around, you walk off, and your friend says, your dad's not taking us to the football game. I said, what would you tell him? He said, I'd tell him to shut up, because my dad says he's, when he says he's going to do something, he does it. Guess what? I'm not a perfect father. I'm pretty sure I've told my kids that I'm going to do something before and then not done it. And yet, in my imperfect state, as imperfect as I am as a father, when I tell my son I'm going to do something, he still believes that I'm going to do it. He believes my word over the word of his friend who says, your dad, he's not going to take us to the football game. Don't talk about my dad. We're going. If he said we're going, we're going. How much more as children of God do we allow the world and Western culture and the media to influence us and we, we take our pain and we run or we listen to the word of the enemy when we're reading our word and we go, I don't know, I, uh, yeah. What informs our belief? The word of God informs our belief. As believers, God said who he is in his word. 
And he's not lied about it. And he's not like me. He's not imperfect. He doesn't sometimes break his promise. He doesn't break it even when I don't understand it. Hebrews 13.5 says, Don't love money, or be satisfied with, but be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. That's what he said. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Deuteronomy 31.6, so be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. Do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you, and he will neither fail you nor abandon you. That's what God said about himself in Scripture. That's who God says he is. And so we see pictures of ISIS, and we see pictures of Christians in the Middle East losing literally their heads for the sake of the gospel, and we see them, and we go, how in the world can they look at such peace in the midst of such overwhelming odds? They're looking at the end of their life. Why are they not panicked? Why are they not doing something? I'm telling you, there is a belief. I, I know missionaries that have said, you know, you pray for us. We're praying for you. We're praying for your faith not to fail. Church, God has told us who he is. I'm not denying suffering and pain. It's absolutely real. But Emmanuel, God with us, has promised to never leave us or forsake us. So here's some possible next steps for this week. I want you to examine how you respond to pain. Do you run to God or do you run from him? And if you're running from him, why? What do you believe about him? And secondly, as the worship team comes back, I want you to examine what you believe about God. Are those beliefs informed by scripture or another voice? What are you going to do about those voices? What are you going to do about them? So today... We're going to sing that song, Come to the Altar, one more time. And I, I want to open up the altar for you. I'm just going to spend a few minutes. And if you need healing, if you need repentance, if you need salvation, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar this morning. We'll be here just a few minutes. But while they sing, I want you, if you have pain, then I want you to take a next step. It doesn't have to be, Roman, I don't know if I can come up there and totally buy in. I'm not sure what I believe about God. Okay, then make a first step. You may come and go, I'm not saying that I believe. I don't know, man. I don't know if God's good. That's okay. Come to the altar. The altar's open.